Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, we're talking with the president of the North Carolina Community College System, and that would be Dr. Jeff Cox, who's the 11th president, previously served as president of Wilkes Community College. Before that, superintendent of Allegheny Public uh, County Schools. And, uh, of course, as we said, he's he's uh, comes to the job with that background, which helps him so much in his new assignment as president. We, you know, it's one of the things, of course, we want to talk a little bit about is is money in running the colleges. And of course, hands are out all over the place when it comes to the General Assembly. Everyone, every organization, whether it's mental health or whether it's uh, Medicaid expansion or every, everything has a budget and everybody is, has their hand out. Uh, the community college system for years, uh, most of us sort of thought were uh, not on the uh, the fair side of their share. Are you uh, at that point where you believe that you are getting better funding and and more interest from the general assembly? Well, Don, I think we've had we've had we've had good support from the general assembly over time. Again, if you think about the comprehensive nature of our colleges and funding fifty eight colleges across the state, that that requires real commitment on on behalf of our legislature. And I applaud them for having the vision you know it was a legislature that that you know made the decision years ago to stand up this system and to have 58 colleges they could have decided to have 10 colleges or 15 colleges like a lot of states do but they really made that commitment to say we want every community especially every rural community in the state to have its own community college so that everybody in our state all of our citizens can have access to higher education so that commitment has been there. It's been ongoing for 60 years. And uh, and again, I applaud that. Uh, seriously applaud that. With that being said, you know, looking ahead to what do we need to do and are, are, do we have the funding uh, that I think we need to be everything that the legislature and the governor and that our private business and industry partners want us to be uh, I would have to say uh, no. Uh, we we probably do need uh, more resources to really fully fulfill the mission and vision that we have for ourselves to meet to meet the needs of every citizen of North Carolina and the needs of every business and industry in North Carolina. We need to be able to do more. One of the challenges we have uh, currently, Don, is with our you know with our salary schedule. We, we all know what's happened here with the economy and wages have have gone up and um, we're, we're struggling to be competitive uh, with our current funding uh, model. The legislature helped us out tremendously for the last couple of years by giving us some additional funds to support really hard to fill areas. So at Wilkes Community College, for example, we used all of that funding to support our health science faculty because we were having a really hard time, for example, finding nursing instructors when they could be making a $100,000 a year out in the field as a nurse. It's really hard to talk them into leaving that and coming over to us and making half that amount as an instructor. So we had to revisit our salary schedule for some of those really hard to fill areas. And they're increasingly more and more of those. So the nursing faculty, our respiratory therapists, our radiology instructors, but also our diesel instructors and our applied engineering instructors, our welding instructors. 
there's so many different ones who can make so much more over in the uh, public sector, in the private sector, that we we really have to think about that uh, and how we're funding uh, our community colleges. And I'll just give this example, you know, for people to think about when uh, when that ambulance rolls up to your house and you're in the middle of some kind of serious uh, cardiac situation. Who, who do you want to have trained the EMT that's going to be uh, taking care of you and getting you from your house to the hospital and keeping you alive along the way? Do you want an instructor who is, uh, you know, top of their game, top notch in the field, really high quality? Is that the person you want to have taught that EMT who's working on you? Think about the same thing with that nurse who's over your bed and working with you. Certainly, we all want the top top highest quality instructors uh, teaching in these very, very important positions. You say the same for law enforcement, how critical is it we've got great instructors teaching uh, folks how to be police officers. So if you think about the importance of what the community colleges does, they do, and how how important uh, they, they touch every aspect of our community, and we just have to have m- more funding to be able to ensure we can keep a top-notch, keep our top-notch faculty in place so they can provide that instruction to our students. So in that way, we we definitely need, you know, more funding support. Uh, We're constantly kind of looking for different creative ways to uh, meet some of the needs uh, with our instructors. We're doing some partnerships with local hospitals where they pay part of a nurse's salary and we pay part of her salary to teach part-time while she works in the hospital the other part of her time. So we're doing some creative things like that, Um, getting some folks who are having release time from their IT company to come over and maybe teach a section with us. So we're trying to be creative, but there is a need there to, to, to support our faculty and staff salaries at a higher level so we can keep people employed. The second place I would just mention is, you know, thinking about business and industry and the equipment that we have to have in all of our community colleges is extraordinarily expensive. I think about, uh, again, at Wilkes, our, our example was with GE Aviation. They make jet engine parts. Well, some of those uh, CNC machines are half million dollars or more just for one machine. Well, it doesn't take, you know, one of those, replacing one of those will pretty much exhaust the local community college's budget for the year. So we have to think uh, creatively about private-public partnerships on meeting the needs for capital uh, to keep our equipment up up and uh, modern. Businesses want us to be training students on the same equipment they're using, you know, in their manufacturing facilities. Uh, And again, I think about any of us, you know, flying off somewhere to vacation uh, this summer uh, and and what kind of equipment do you want that guy uh, trained on who's going to be making the jet engine part in that jet that you're flying in? Uh, It has to be modern. It has to be you know, precision, and we don't need to be using outdated equipment to train students who are going to go out and be working on modern equipment when they get into the workforce. So that takes resources. And uh, if we're going to stay the number one state in the country for business, we've got to stay the number one country for workforce. And that means investing more, I think, in our community colleges. 
The last thing I would say about that, Don, is the data is clear on this. You know, for every dollar that the legislature invests in our community colleges, and it is an investment, not an expense in my mind, for every dollar invested, there's a $2 uh, return on that investment. So you can make the argument that they ought to invest the whole budget (laughs) with our community colleges because it pays back double time. Uh, And not everybody can uh, can say that. So in all seriousness, I I do think we're we demonstrate a great return on investment. I just encourage our legislators to uh, continue to look at, at us as a great investment in every community across the state and lifting up the economic prosperity. Something you said about uh, the cost of equipment reminded me of the old joke about the guy who seemed to be fairly apprehensive about flying, and the person sitting beside him in the airplane says, you you look a little apprehensive. And he said, well, there are 500,000 parts in this airplane, and every one of them was supplied by the lowest bidder. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. Uh, a lot of the community, we have 58 colleges. Some yeah. are co- called community colleges and some are called technical schools. Is there a difference uh, other than just the name? Well, I think there's there's some history to that. I think when so- some of the colleges were stood up, they, they were more specifically technical colleges. They were, they were, you had, I think in the early days, some colleges were a little bit more geared toward college transfer or just do your first two years of general education and then go on and and get four-year degrees and others by their early design were were more technical in nature. I I would say at at this uh, stage, uh, 60 years into this great experiment, there's very little difference between the ones that have technical college or technical institute or whatever in, in their name versus just community college. They, they were all comprehensive. It's one of the other points I would want to make, Don, about the nature of our community college system. We, we are one of the largest, but we're by far the most comprehensive in what all services we provide from workforce and continuing education, short-term credentials, to adult uh, basic skills, helping for folks who have dropped out of high school, but they want to come back and get and get their high school diploma. Uh, even our special needs population who, who are just trying to pick up skills to go out and, and be uh, uh, more independent uh, in, in their lives to, uh, to you know, to the, all the college transfer programs we have across all the different program areas. Um, we're, we're just com- so comprehensive in what we do that we're really unlike any other system in the country. Some of these uh, community colleges are quite large. I know the uh, Wake uh, Community College is, is uh, uh, has a very large footprint and serves many students, and, of course, some are, are much smaller. Uh, so the size difference also comes into play uh, in, uh, in the work that you supply as far as helping and assisting these uh, smaller schools, especially in their, in their work. Absolutely, Don. It's one of the... One of the handful of goals the state board has given me coming in new to this role is to is to really look at that issue and think what is the system's role and making sure that every uh, small rural college uh, is sustainable. And and how do we look at at being 
more collaborative and doing more regional collaboration so colleges can kind of partner with each other and provide some services together instead of everybody having to do it, uh, you know, on, on their own, which is essential for, the, for you know, the long-term sustainability of some of our smaller rural colleges. They play such an important role in their small communities. Uh, they're often just the epicenter of the community beyond just education. It's the that's where the the culture of the community comes to life with uh, with different venues and uh, the impact on the community. I was listening to the radio today and they were talking about the impact, the extreme negative impact on small communities when they lose an institution of higher education. Uh, for, across so many different ways, it's just uh, it can be the it can be a, a real. Uh, death knoll for a community when they lose their their institution of higher education. So we don't want that to happen with any of our 58 colleges. We want them all to be strong and keep their little small communities and our large communities like here in Wake County to keep all of them strong and vibrant. And uh, we just have to continue to figure out how to work smarter uh, with each other and collaborate try and be as efficient as we can with the tax dollars that we have to support our colleges. And uh, that's one of the, that's one of the key goals that we're working on this year. Well, there's, uh, you know, uh, there are many other topics that we uh, could uh, bring up and uh, we have a, another segment coming up. Uh, distant learning is one of the things that we'd like to talk a little bit about, but we also want to talk about the uh, impact of COVID-19 not only on education, but on business and on trades and how that affected the community college system and how what lessons we've learned from the experience we all shared during the COVID-19 interruption, I guess you might say. Our guest is Dr. Jeff Cox. He's the president of the North Carolina Community College System. And uh, as I said, we have one final segment, and we'll get to that right after we take time out for these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for this particular week. Our topic is uh, the North Carolina Community College System, and we have as our guest, Dr. Jeff Cox. 
who's the 11th president of the system that serves some 500,000 students here and there uh, across the state over 58 different campuses. Um, we've, we've talked about a lot of things. Uh, I guess one of the things that uh, we would sort of look at uh, as sort of a, a wrap-up in this final segment is what are your priorities now for the community college system as you look ahead? We've talked a little bit about some of the early lessons that you've learned uh, from your experience as head of one of the colleges. But what priorities are you setting for the community college system for the next uh, year and, and the next maybe five years? Yeah, thank you, Don, for that question. I, you know, the I think you know priority number one for us is uh, is, is thinking about work the workforce of the state. You know, we've had the the blessing of being uh, identified for the second year in a row uh, as being the best state in the country for business. Um, one of the keys to that is our strong workforce that was called out specifically. And, and beyond that, uh, our community colleges were, were identified as a key uh, factor in that. The fact that we're aligned so closely with business and industry that we're able to meet them where they are. That's one of our really key priorities going forward is thinking about that. Um, we, we, we like to say we have to move at the pace of business. Uh, sometimes uh, education gets a bad rap of, of uh, being a little slow to uh, to change. Um, I, I think our community colleges, while we still have room to improve, but, you know, always, I think one of our hallmarks has been that we are nimble and we can change and do change to meet the needs of business and industry. So with the, with the pace of change, I was in a session yesterday on uh, talking about artificial intelligence and how that's impact in business and industry, you know, everything's changing. And uh, the only difference between now and the last hundred years is the pace of that change. Uh, when we're having these disruptions, uh, the the impact that artificial intelligence is going to have on, on businesses and industries and education is hard to be overstated. And so our ability to be nimble and flexible and prepared to adjust to those new jobs that are that are going to be coming that we can't even imagine now they don't exist. So one of our challenges is, you know, how, how do we continue to meet the current job demands that are out there and help businesses and industries fill their current vacancies with the current skill set that's needed? But how do we do that, but also prepare our students in such a way that when those needs change, as they will, with the pace of change that we have now, students have to be equipped to be able to be lifelong learners. They're not going to go to college and, and then be finished with college and go to work for 30 years. All of us have to change our mindset to think about being lifelong learners. So that's an inevitable part of what, what we're trying to work on and think about is how, how, do, how do we... Uh, meet the, the needs of the current times, knowing that the pace of change is just unprecedented. So thinking about that and how does our community college system and our 58 individual colleges, how, how do we shift our thinking uh, to be nimble enough to keep pace with, uh, with the pace of business these days? So that's well, one piece of it. Yeah. It, you know, it hasn't been that long. Uh, since uh, our economy was based on cigarette manufacturing, textiles, and furniture, and none of those three categories are very important anymore. And fortunately, they've been replaced with uh, higher-paying jobs in most That's cases. Exactly. 
That's exactly right. And I think AI, the artificial intelligence, is we're going to see the same thing just at a greater pace. So it won't take a decade for, for that change to roll out. It's going to happen in a year or two. We're going, to, we're going to see tremendous change just in the next year or two. And we're going to have to be able to adapt quickly to that. And I've got every confidence that we'll be able to do that. So that's one of our priorities is just being ready for that. Uh, the second thing is that for me, you know, we look across the state, we, we have great economic prosperity, uh, so much opportunity across our state, a lot of uh, affluence and people doing well. But yet there's also uh, segments of our population who are struggling. Uh, a lot of students who are graduating high school and they're not going on to any kind of uh, post-secondary institution. But we know a lot of these jobs, particularly the new jobs that pay the living living wages and higher, require some kind of post-secondary degree. So if we're going to really impact uh, poverty and and impact economic mobility for all of North Carolina, we have to do a much better job of drawing in uh, that 40 or 50 percent of high school students who aren't going on to any kind of post-secondary institution. We have to convince them that the community colleges have programs for them, both short-term for several weeks or a few months, uh, up to a two-year program that'll change their lives. And it's affordable uh, with with the, if they'll fill out the FAFSA form, the federal financial aid forms, most students uh, and all students who are in poverty really will qualify for Pell Grant funding uh, which pays about $6,000 a year, and that's not money that has to be paid back, uh, Don. They, that covers all their tuition and fees, which at the community college is about $2,500 a year, not a semester, but for the whole year, $1,200 per semester. You think about the tuition cost and then books, maybe another 1000 or so per year. Uh, a student could come go to their community college and, and, uh, you know, for $3,000, and get enough Pell Grant funding to cover all those expenses, plus have a little money to put gas in the car to get back and forth to class and maybe buy a few meals along the way. So it's it's affordable, uh, but we have to get get, uh, that population of students who's just not going anywhere right now and unfortunately, there's a big segment of our 18 to 24-year-olds who are not only not going to the university or the community college, but they're not joining the workforce either. They're just kind of disconnected. We, we call them the kind of the d- disconnected youth. We've got to get engaged with that group and get them on a track to complete some kind of degree or credential that's going to let them take their place in the uh, labor market. So that's a big that's a big priority for us is figuring out how to how to kind of bounce back from COVID. We used to have about seven hundred and some thousand students in our community college system. COVID really uh, knocked us for a loop, just like it did the universities and business and industry and the whole world. We're rebuilding, enrollments are coming back up, but we've got some segments of the population that are just disconnected, and we've got to get them back back connected. Uh, because we got a lot of jobs that aren't being filled right now, and a lot of them pay really good wages, but we've got to get those students in, in our doors so that we can get them the degrees and credentials they need to go out and earn a living wage. Well, you know, fortunately in North Carolina, almost everywhere you go, you see help wanted signs. 
and yep. that's, uh, that's good. Uh, and of course, you know, as you said, rising income helps the state because with rising income, there's rising taxes, uh, income tax paid to the state that allows the state to do other things uh, like mental health and uh, other concerns that we have. Well, and that's part of that return on investment, Don, that I referenced earlier. So every dollar invested in a community college is going to pay back $2 in terms of uh, savings on ta for tax revenue, one, but then also social savings where those students uh, aren't living in poverty anymore. So they're not having to uh, to uh, utilize some of those government services that are, that are pretty expensive. So Again, that, that investment in education, really K-12 through the university system, is really, really important. Uh, and, of course, I'm specifically, uh, you know, we're, we're working toward the investment in our community colleges because I see that return on investment so clearly uh, in terms of what we're able to do. So that's a big part of what we're pushing for and just thinking about this issue of economic mobility and not just enrolling students, not just getting students to complete their degrees, but really taking a look at what happens after they complete the degree and go into the workforce. Have we changed their lives? Are they going into jobs where they're making a living wage? Uh, looking at equity across our different programs. And when you look at folks who have been uh, marginalized or uh, economically challenged, um, are they going into programs specifically that are going to help lift them up out of poverty? Or are they going into programs that that pay uh, you know lower wages? So looking at even issues like that across our colleges and across programs within our colleges to make sure the students who need that uh, that uh, leg up are, are able to able to get that support uh, from us. So, and the la la last thing I would mention is just to do that again. I referenced this earlier with Wilkes Community College and the works the work we had done on wraparound services. But what we have found over the years was uh, most of the students who were dropping out, not finishing their degrees, uh, weren't doing so because they couldn't handle the academic load. They were doing it because they had hit a hurdle in life, uh, whether that be a lack of childcare, a lack of transportation, food insecurity, housing insecurity, having to work two or three uh, part-time jobs, uh, whatever those challenges were, those typically were the things that were causing our students to have to stop out or drop out of college. So as a small community in Wilkes, we rallied around and figured out how could we raise the private money to help build up our foundation and provide support. And we had some great philanthropic partners there, like the Leonard Heron Family Foundation in particular, that came alongside us and, and gave us tremendous support uh, to build out some of those programs. So for me, thinking about that more broadly on the statewide scale, thinking community by community, how, how do we begin to think about uh, a comprehensive needs of our students and what does it really take to move somebody from poverty to, to being out of poverty and having a job that pays a living wage? So that's that's you know that's part part of the work that we're that we're trying to do. Well, we've got an awkward amount of time. I don't have enough time to uh, introduce a new topic, uh, but we would like to remind the listeners that in earlier segments we talked about the collaboration with the university system and the K through twelve programs that the community college system has uh, developed in in, uh, in uh, collaboration with those 
to uh, our uh, systems of education. And uh, uh, we've talked about uh, a number of other issues. And so if you uh, want more information and you did not hear uh, the first segment of the program, then you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast, or you can share it with a friend. It's Carolina Community College, I mean, carolinanewsmakers.com. Uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Cox is president of the system. Uh, we very much appreciate you sharing this uh, information with us. And uh, uh, as always, we are so proud of what uh, the system has done for the state of North Carolina and uh, it's, it's certainly one of our, our pride and joy systems in the state. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another guest on Carolina Newsmakers. And uh, uh, Jason Kong, who's produced our program, has promised that he will certainly have an interesting guest. So we'll see you next week, same time, same station. Have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.